Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another V Brown Bag. My name is Tom Green, and joining us tonight is Jeremiah Dooley. We're continuing our Azure series talking about scaling, uh, growth, and uh, performance. Before we get started, there's a little bit of housekeeping. We're very interactive podcast. We love to hear from you. We love to talk back to you. Uh, we love all of the silly animated pictures you can send us. If you want us to see them, you can hit us up at vbrownbag or the Twitter hashtag vbrownbag. We'll always be watching. We'll respond, take care of whatever uh, whatever questions you need to get you in touch with the right people. Our show is recorded live, and you can see the latest schedule by going to vbrownbag.com slash brownbags. While you're at vbrownbag.com, you'll be able to get resources to learn whatever you would like to learn. Uh, with that said, I'll go ahead and hand over things to Jeremiah. So uh, take it away, Jeremiah. Thank you, Tom. Good evening. I guess it's evening for everyone. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and make sure that everybody can see. We there see. we go. Yep, we see it. Awesome. All right, let's kick this off, and we'll get started. So good afternoon, everyone. My name is Jeremiah Dooley. I am one of the cloud advocates at uh, Azure as part of the Azure Engineering Group. Uh, all of my contact information is down there at the bottom. Uh, I will put the slide up again at the end for anybody who has any questions or anybody who wants to uh, dig further into what it is that we're talking about. I want to make sure that you have an open line of communication to me and to the whole team so that we can make sure to get all your questions answered. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about scaling. And specifically uh, in Azure, we're going to talk about scaling for, you know, for different reasons. Uh, you know, scaling for growth, meaning we've got to get bigger. Scaling for resiliency, meaning we don't necessarily need to get bigger, we just need to get better. Uh, and because those are two pretty different uh, types of scaling and there are different things that we have to think about as we're going through them, uh, we'll tackle both of those separately. Um, the first thing that we're going to talk about is kind of what exactly we're going to learn. And I like to start off the presentations by making sure that everybody has uh, an idea of what we're going to be talking about and what we're going to try to get out of it uh, at the end. So we're going to talk about when to scale uh, and by extension, when not to scale. Uh, we're going to talk about how to scale and, and some different ways that Azure has for us to be able to take uh, app functions or applications or VMs and scale them in different ways or scale them using different methods. Uh, and then we're going to do a bunch of just random fun Azure stuff. Uh, we've got some really, really cool demos that we're going to step through as we go in. And then because uh, I am an operations nerd at heart, we're going to look at a bunch of the uh, scripting and automation that we put together to build the demos because we're going to make all of that available to you uh, via GitHub so that you can pull this down and play with it and, and do anything that you want to with it. So it should be pretty fun. We're going to bounce around a little bit. Uh, and as always, if you have any questions or anything, uh, you can go ahead and ask them in the, uh, in the panel on the side. So how are we going to cover this? We'll start with uh, build slides. You kill me. So we're going to start with some quick background about the demos and what it is that we built. 
Uh, we're going to step into you know, when and how we should scale. We're going to focus a little bit on load balancing because we've got some really cool options that we can use to be able to programmatically handle uh, as we scale. What do we do with the front ends? What do we do with getting customers to those scaled out instances, that sort of thing. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about database scaling, uh, particularly some of the NoSQL uh, geographically distributed database options uh, that Azure has, and then we'll step into uh, some of the code behind the scenes with as much time that we have left. All right, so Microsoft did an entire series of global events called uh, Microsoft Ignite the Tour, and we went around the world and we helped customers put Azure into the context of a business that we built. And the business that we built was called Tailwind Traders, and it's a global retail company, and we built a whole bunch of different apps that we could use as the foundation for being able to share uh, the context that we wanted to be able to share. Uh, for this particular session, what we're talking about is the, uh, the good side of building an application and sending it public, right? The good news is we were successful and the application works and the customers are coming into our retail site and they're buying lots of stuff and everybody's happy, right? We're seeing the hockey stick growth that we want to be able to see. It's the thing, you know, all of us who have delivered products into the market hope for is that it was wildly successful and everybody's really happy with it and we're going to, we're going to, con to continue to grow that. Now, the flip side is that that success has an operational cost, right? We've got to figure out how is it that we're going to make the infrastructure keep up with the, um, you know, keep up with the with the demand. How are we going to make it so that the customer experience stays the same? How are we going to make it so that we have the ability uh, to continue to scale that out and to be able to continue that growth without having everybody looking back at the infrastructure people going, what the hell's going on here? Why is it this, that, that we're not able to keep up with this? So we sit down as an engineering team, we sit down as an infrastructure group, and we start going through the process of, okay, we can see where our runway is headed. We can see, uh, you know, we obviously know what we deployed to and the targets that we deployed to, and we start asking questions, right? And I love this idea of everybody sitting around and asking hard questions and coming up with the answers together so that we can figure out what we need to do next. And that first question is, we see the growth, we know what we deployed, when and how do we need to scale our application and the underlying infrastructure? Right? Is the underlying infrastructure the place that we want to go? And as with all hard questions, the only real answer to it is maybe. Right? We want to be able to look at the infrastructure, but before we look at the infrastructure and before we start figuring out how to scale it, we need to figure out if the infrastructure is going to be our limiting factor. One of the things that we probably want to look at before we start scaling the infrastructure is the code itself. Uh, is the code buggy? Do we have uh, you know, memory leaks? Are we going to run into code scaling issues long before we run into infrastructure issues? And if that's the case, maybe instead of focusing on the infrastructure, we need to focus uh, on the code itself. We also need to figure out, is this growth temporary? Did we have a marketing campaign? Did we have a slash dot moment? Did we, uh, you know, did we end up in the news for something? And so the rush of people that are coming in isn't something that we feel like is going to be sustainable. And if, we're, if it's only going to be temporary, maybe what we want to do is just set expectations, but not necessarily invest uh, in scaling out that infrastructure left. 
We also need to figure out if we have unused capacity. Uh, particularly in Azure, customers will build uh, test dev environments for them to be able to uh, deploy things into a production-like environment. And do we have unused capacity in test dev now that we've pushed it into production so that we can simply move some of that capacity or move some of that billing over rather than being able to deploy new ones? So do we need to scale the application, the under, uh, underlying infrastructure? Maybe. Maybe there's some other stuff that we can use to focus on there. What we really want to do here is balance the risk versus the expense. The risk is, and we always look at this from a customer perspective, the risk is having a bad customer experience. Are they going to come in and not be able to do what they need to be able to do? Because that's really, that's the threshold. You know, talk about you know, when do we scale and at what point do we scale to, and it's really going to be around that customer experience versus the expense. Because whether you're buying hardware and putting it in your own data center or you're deploying resources into Azure, there's always going to be a cost associated with that. What we're looking for in order to be able to say, yes, we do need to expand that underlying infrastructure is resource exhaustion under load. We want to know uh, that the load that's being put on the application, not the code that sits underneath it, not a, a marketing campaign, that we're actually just getting to the point where that the, those resources that we've deployed are exhausted. When that happens, the application ceases to meet that objective and that impacts the customer. And so that's really the point at which we're going to say, yes, we absolutely need to start scaling that infrastructure. What we have to watch out for are going to be, you know, the differences between anticipated load, we continue to scale linearly and unanticipated load. Somebody puts something on Reddit that gets hugely popular and drives a bunch of traffic uh, to the site because regardless of whether you're buying infrastructure or deploying cloud resources, those spikes are going to be tricky to manage. This is the point at which we say, understand what it is that you're doing when you're deploying more resources. And again, on-prem, in the cloud, uh, everything that we're doing here today has an actual cost uh, that is a, you know, uh, an associated cost with everything that we're deploying. Um, some of these things are going to be relatively cheap. Some of these things are not going to be relatively cheap. Uh, making sure that we are good stewards of the company money while at the same time trying to make sure that we take care of the customers and the customer experience is going to be the key there. So when we talk about scaling for growth, meaning we're going to continue to get more traffic and we need to be able to make the application handle more concurrent users, handle more load, we're really going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about scaling up or vertically scaling uh, and scaling out. And we're going to go through this quick because I would be surprised if there's not too many people uh, out there who don't understand the differences between these two. But scaling up vertically is going to be the equivalent of simply swapping out a smaller server for a larger server. In a cloud context, we can do this fairly often. Uh, there are a whole bunch of different instance sizes that we can continue to be able to scale through and every time we need more resources we simply hook up the cloud bicycle pump uh, and we continue to make that uh, instance that's running our application bigger and we can do this until we reach the limit of the uh, instance sizes that we have available and usually we're going to run into issues with the code being able to handle the resources before we run out of resources to be able to give them. So scaling up vertically works really well for uh, you know, uh, legacy applications, for siloed applications, for things where we're not necessarily going to be aware of how to distribute things horizontally. 
if we do have an application that we can distribute horizontally, then the scaling out is going to make sense. And scaling out is going to take a reasonably sized instance, and we're simply going to keep putting more of them in there. Obviously, this is going to require different things than the scaling up would. If we're going to be scaling out, we need to have uh, an application that is actually capable of doing that. We need to have an application that's aware of what to do when we deploy new instances, what to do when instances go away. Uh, we need to have it architected in such a way that we can scale the front end and we can scale the back end. Uh, and being able to do that, it's just a different type of application. You know, there are certainly things that we are not going to be able to scale out horizontally, but vertically is still going to be an option. Let's take a quick walk through the application that we're talking about here. Uh, we've got three parts to this application that we're going to be demoing. There's a front-end uh, web app that is written in React and JavaScript. We've got a product service, which is the products that are in the catalog, which is a Node.js app, uh, and it connects to a Cosmos DB using a MongoDB API. So the code actually thinks it's talking to a Mongo database. Uh, it's actually running on a Cosmos DB NoSQL instance. And then the third part is the inventory service. And this keeps track of how many items are in stock at any point in time. Uh, for this, we use .NET Core, and we're using SQL Server on the back end to be able to store that. We wanted to try to mix in, well, uh, well everything. I mean, we wanted to make every type of technology and show that we can manage all of this and uh, that we can deploy all of this in kind of the same way through um, you know, through Azure and through the, the app stack that we were building. So let's look at that in production. And we will flip over to our good old Azure portal to be able to do it. So what we've got here is the uh, Azure portal. For those of you who haven't seen it, uh, it's pretty straightforward. It gives us all of our services. It gives us all of the links that we want to be able to do. It shows me all my recent uh, all my recent resources that I've played around with, uh, and we have the ability to build custom dashboards. And we build these dashboards uh, kind of on the fly to be able to put whatever we want to in there. Uh, in our case here, what I've done is built a dashboard specifically for the V Brown Bag uh, that has all of the resources that we're going to deploy to be able to support the, uh, the applications that we're talking about. And so what are we talking about? The first one is going to be the front end. And the front end is the, you know, the actual interface that customers are going to see. We've, we are pulling uh, the inventory out of the inventory service. We're pulling the products out of the product service. Uh, and we can see each of those separately as well. So if we want to see what all of the products are, here's your API where you can pull all of the product items, all of the names, all of the IDs, everything that we're using to build out uh, the UI on the front end. And then for the uh, inventory, we've also thrown that up here uh, as, a, as a full service so that we can pull out whatever uh, you know, the, the inventory is and how many we have of each of those that are in stock and then kind of present them all up through, uh, all up through that front end. If we look on the back, we've got a couple pieces here. I've created two resource groups, one that's just for the databases. And so you can see our SQL Server that we're using for the uh, inventory. You can see the SQL database itself uh, that is running on the SQL server. And then we can see the Cosmos DB account that we're using uh, with that, that, uh, that MongoDB API in front of it. And then on the application side, we've got two pieces here. We've got the app service plan 
and we can click into the app service plan and we can see what it is uh, that we're doing here. We can see uh, which subscription it's tied to. We can see how many apps we're actually deploying here and there's three because there's gonna be one for each of those uh, inventory front end uh, and product. We're gonna see the resource group that it's in. We can see the location that it's in and we can see kind of general utilization of the, uh, you know, of the app services. So we get kind of some, some real basic telemetry to be able to see exactly what it is that we're doing there. We also have the app services themselves. So the app service plan defines all of the parameters. It's basically the, the billing container that all of the app services plug into. And then the app services themselves are the individual pieces. And so here we can see uh, the app service plan that this is tied to. We can see the URL for the front end because it is uh, a web service. If we wanted to deploy over uh, HTTP or FTP or, F or FTPS, we can see the location, we can see the size and that it's running. Here's where we can start and stop it. So um, one of these is basically the billing plan and then the app services are the actual applications themselves. Uh, the last thing that we put in here, which was specifically for Tom, is the application insights, which gives us the ability to dig in and look at some, uh, some real time data about the instances themselves. Uh, including all sorts of fun stuff like failed requests and server response times. And uh, we can query logs uh, directly through here so that if we wanted to be able to do any sort of, uh, if we wanted to be able to do any sort of search, we could look at response time trend, we could look at request trend, uh, and it's actually gonna pull in the schema from the logs and allow us to query those directly. So lots of really fun stuff to be able to stay on top of what is my app doing and how is my app working. All right, so that's our layout. We've got three pieces. We've got database resources. We've got app resources. So with that, we will jump back over to the demo. The other thing that I wanted to show is everything that we do through the UI, we're also gonna be able to do programmatically. So in this case here, everything we just looked at where we wanted to list all of those resources out, uh, we can do that directly through uh, the command line so that if I wanted to do this programmatically, if I wanted to build my own dashboard, if I wanted to pull out uh, everything that I'm looking at, I can see uh, all of that programmatically. So in this case, we're just using Cloud Shell, which we'll talk about at the end if we get a little bit of time to do so. Uh, but this gives us, you know, here's our identity, here's the SKUs that we're using, here's the tiers, here's uh, the size of those instances, everything that we would need to know or that we would want to put into a you know a dashboard or an overview or a status email or teams or slack or anything that we wanted to be able to copy it into uh, we've got the ability programmatically to go through and do that so uh, we'll, we'll take a look at these a couple different ways but just as a general rule uh, there are always at least three different ways for us to be able to um, programmatically interact with uh, with azure the UI is one of them, obviously, but anything that we can do from the command line or anything that we can do from uh, Azure Resource Manager templates, you know, we'll try to show those as we go through here as well. All right, so we have our we have our instances. We know what everything looks like. Let's talk about scaling up, uh, and we'll go through this pretty quickly because, again, uh, not super complicated. But we're going to go in here to our app service plan. Uh, and once we get into the app service plan and we're looking uh, at what we've got here over on the left hand side, we've got a scale up button. Uh, 
and the scale up button brings up all of the different instance sizes, right? Because again, the scale up is just, let's take the instance that's running and give it more resources. And we can see that right now we're running uh, a B1 instance, which is suitable uh, for test dev. We call them less demanding workloads. Uh, and we can see all the features that are in there. We can manually scale it up to three instances. We can, um, you know, we can use custom domains. We've got you know, included hardware with storage and memory and, and disk. We can also see what other options are available. There will be different pricing tiers. And in this case, we're gonna scale it up. Let's pretend we're taking it out of test dev and we're putting it into production. We can flip over here and we can see all of the pricing tiers for the production VMs. And down at the bottom, you can see that there are additional features that are included in the production tier. We can uh, use up to 20 staging slots for test and development. So we can deploy into a slot and then actually swap that into production. Um, we can do backups, we get traffic manager that's in there, we get additional storage and memory. Uh, and if we want to be able to change from our test dev, you know, B1 instance size over here into a P1 V2, all we have to do is select it and hit apply. And what we're going to see over here is we've got an alert that comes up and it says it's updating the app service plan and we're done. And with that, we've taken that instance size. We have uh, moved from the test dev B1 with the features that were included with that into production, uh, and that's it. I mean, we could continue to do this if we wanted to go from uh, you know, a smaller uh, V2 instance up into a larger uh, P-series instance, we could do that. And we can just continue doing this. And every time we do it, there's gonna be additional cost. I mean, obviously you can see uh, the test dev over here, we were paying about $37 a month and we just jumped up to $115 a month. But again, that's that balance between risk and reward. So uh, pretty straightforward for us to be able to do it. And now if we go, um, you know, if we go back over into the overview, everything's still running. Uh, we can see that uh, everything ended up getting moved over. And if we wanted to do that through the command line, we can also check. So you can run a report and see when did we scale, what did we scale to, what did we scale from, uh, and we can do all of that again right directly from uh, the cloud shell. So we so, pull out uh, the resource. Jeremiah, we up? had some questions come in, and I actually have the same one. So awesome. Uh, when you do that scale up, does it? in real time scale the server is there any kind of outage at all or is it just add resources um to the actual server nope it's uh all real time so the uh we can if we flip back over here we can see that the you know there was no no outage anything that we were doing there all of this is going to end up working the same way that it did uh we're handling all of the uh, addition of resources on the back end and uh, you know the additional storage that gets allocated to it all of that stuff happens on the fly uh, the only thing that may happen depending on uh, if we're also changing uh, you know the the uh, the region that we're deploying into is you saw that there was a an alert that came up that said um, let's see if we can get it back up um, the IP address of that front-end instance um, may change depending on what type of hardware it is that we're moving it from and moving it to. Uh, but even that is one of those things that, um, you know, programmatically we can handle that on the front end with the, uh, the front door load balancer that we'll talk about when we get to the end of it. But um, no, there's no outage involved in that. I mean, we literally just moved that from 
you know, one and three quarter gig of RAM on an A-series compute over into a, uh, you know, a three and a half gig of RAM, completely different type of instance. And all of that migration happens seam seamlessly. And can you go downward as well without taking an outage or? Uh, see the outgoing IP, there it is, the outgoing IP address for your app may change. Mm -hmm. um, so that's always a problem with uh, other virtualization platforms is you can scale up, but you can't scale back down. There we go. So we've scaled it up and then we've scaled it back down. So again, all of that billing will happen dynamically, right? I mean, again, the resources now, now the scaling down is always interesting in that if we, um, you know, particularly on the storage side, if we're using 250 gigs and we go to scale it down, you're going to get a notification that pops up that says you can't, right? I mean, you're, uh, the CPU and the RAM, you know, we'll, we'll move that and, and flush everything out. But uh, if there's storage that's committed into uh, that storage account, right, we just went from 250 gigs to 10 gigs. If we, uh, if we were using that, when we tried to hit that apply, it would come up with an error and just say, you can't. Like there's, there are resources here, there are persistent resources that we can't free up uh, in order to be able to do that. But nope, we can scale them up, we can scale them down, and we can do that dynamically, and everything comes up just the way it's supposed to. Great, thank you. Yep. All right. And we talked a little bit about how we can see that uh, inside the Cloud Shell, right? So again, we can see the capacity, we can see uh, the server farm, which is the uh, the, the CLI name for that uh, that app service plan, and we can see that we've changed from that B series over into the PV2 series. This is one of the places where you know we kind of remind everybody to stop and, and think about what we're doing, right? So we just scaled out uh, the instances on the front end. We've got lots of new uh, capacity for us to be able to bring more users to the platform but there's going to be lots of other things that we need to be able to work on there. We need to make sure that the databases are scaled appropriately. We need to make sure uh, that both the product and inventory services are scaled. Uh, just because we've given it more resources and we've given ourselves more headroom, uh, it doesn't mean that it solves every part of that problem or that it necessarily absolves the, uh, the people who are building those applications from being able to understand what's gonna happen when those resources excuse me, when those resources are available and when those uh, those users start hitting it. We need to make sure that we're thinking about what's the next logical uh, resource that's going to become exhausted under load and how do we address that. All right, so we talked about scaling up. Let's look at scaling out. Uh, and this one is equally easy, although we've got some additional stuff that we wanna be able to do here. Um, let's first switch back over into here because one of the things that we get here is the ability to auto scale, which we want to be able to show off here. So we will move back into our P1 V2. And when we look at scale out, we've got a couple new things that we wanna look at here. Uh, the first is we want to make it clear that uh, scaling out in individual increments is what we consider an override condition, right? Azure wants to say, if you want to scale out, turn on auto scaling, and then you can define all sorts of stuff about what it is that you wanna do. Not everybody wants to enable auto scaling, and we'll talk about some reasons why, but here's where we can manually change the instance count. So if we wanna go from one instance of 
uh, each of those apps uh, to multiple instances. We simply uh, move the slider over to however many instances we want to, and it looks like we can do up to 20 with that plan uh, the way that we built it. And then all we do is save it. And when we save it, it's going to come up here and it's going to tell us that it's updating the auto scale configuration, which is a little misleading because we didn't enable auto scaling. We just overwrote it manually. Uh, but once that gets done, we can look over and we can see, um, you know, in each of those individual pieces, we can see how many of them uh, are now running. Right. So what we did there was we just said instead of one instance in each uh, for each of those apps, we want to run. Uh, multiple instances for each of those apps. And if we were to pull one of them up, and here's the front end, um, you know, we can see the total number, we can see the app service plan, and we can see the total number of those uh, that are up and running. So again, it's really easy to do, but there's a lot of thought that goes into before we do what we just did. Does the application know what to do with that new instance now that we've added it? How are users connecting to it on the front end? Uh, do we have the ability to scale horizontally at all? So in our case, with the way that we've got this app built, it's pretty easy and pretty straightforward. Um, we want to make sure that it, the option is available there if the scaling up portion uh, isn't the way that you want to be able to do that. It certainly is going to give you more flexibility. We could scale this out to you know, hundreds or even thousands of instances and, and load balance all of them on the front end. It gives us a lot of flexibility, uh, but it's something certainly that the uh, that the you know the application is going to have to support. It uh, looks like a question came in. Can you put a hard stop on the number of instances? Absolutely. We're going to talk about uh, auto scaling a bunch here in a second, but uh, Specifically for this one, part of the reason that customers will use this instead of auto scaling is because I have the ability to say you will scale to this many instances and no more. Right? Our instant count, our instance count here is fixed. When we get to the uh, to the auto scaling, uh, we'll certainly show lots of different ways for us to be able to figure out how far we want to scale and how quickly we want to scale and those sorts of things. All right, and because we all love to see the automation side of that, we can look at uh, how we do that through the command line. So again, that app service plan, you know, we can list those out, uh, and this is going to show us what the capacity is, where we changed from one to two. We can see the family that it's in there. Uh, again, particularly if you have lots of cooks in the kitchen, this gives you a good programmatic way to be able to pull and validate how many instances of this are running when was the last time it changed, right? It gives you some telemetry that you can work on, uh, you know, regardless of whether or not you've got one person in the UI or lots of people in the UI, or lots of people who are programmatically changing the number of instances that are in there based on external uh, criteria or thresholds. This is also something that we can instantiate, not just report on where we are, but we can actually push changes to that directly out through an ARM template. Uh, we could do that through a, you know, a, a, a GitHub pipeline where we've actually got uh, code pushes that are, in addition to deploying new code, are actually changing the app service plan uh, and the capacity of it or the instance type as we go through. And so you can see here where, uh, I mean, it's just JSON and we're just going to go through and tell it, here's the tier I want to be able to use, here's the name of the instances in that tier I want to use, and then here's the capacity. So uh, in addition to being able to pull this 
information, we can also uh, programmatically push this. So if we knew that we've got a batch process, for instance, or a database backup, or something where we wanted to be able to have uh, multiple instances that we can talk to, we could programmatically change the number of instances that we're running wait for whatever is finished and then programmatically change it back. So uh, we wanna again, make sure that the UI is certainly not the only place that we are going to be able to uh, make changes to the environment. We would, and in fact, most of the customers that we talk to are going to be able to do that programmatically. All right, auto scaling. Here's where things get fun and a little bit crazy. Uh, should you use auto scaling? And again, this being a hard question, the answer is maybe. Thank you for not saying it depends. <laughs> no, it does not depend. It's just maybe. I like maybe better. Um, it's going to depend on a couple things. Uh, the first is going to be, do you know your app? And this is an important one because auto scaling is going to require you to know lots of uh, details about your app that you may not have thought of before. Right? Even if the app is capable of scaling out horizontally, how long does it take for a new instance to be deployed to start servicing customer requests? Uh, does it scale linearly? Is there going to be additional overhead that happens when you've got multiple instances? What does the memory utilization look like when you add one additional uh, or CPU utilization or thread count or whatever metric it is that you're using? You really need to be able to know your app before auto scaling is gonna be an option. You also need to know uh, the traffic. Is it cyclical? Is there going to be a pattern to it? Is it something that you can plan for? Is it something that you want to restrict to certain times of the day? Uh, and you have to know that it's going to cost you money, right? At this point, we're, we're hooking the credit card up to a faucet that you control, uh, but that if you program wrong, this is where you read the horror stories on Twitter about, oh, look, I just got uh, an Azure or an AWS bill for $10,000 because I let auto scaling run wild when it didn't need to because we had something programmed wrong. So uh, auto scaling is great. It is going to cost you money. You need to make sure that you have a good handle on the app and on how you want to be able to do that scaling. Um, auto scaling also has some limitations on what it can do and how quickly it can do it. So you need to understand uh, the limitations on the auto scaling. Uh, and it very much requires an understanding of the metrics that matter to your app. Is it CPU? Is it memory? Is it number of user uh, requests per instance? Right? Understanding the threshold at which you want that auto scaling to happen is going to be really important here. When we talk about auto scaling, we build out uh, what we call an auto scaling, scaling profile. This is going to be the instructions for how auto scaling is going to work. It has a couple pieces. The first is going to be the capacity portion. Uh, this is where we tell it the minimum, which is pretty self-explanatory uh, to the question that we had in chat. This is also where we set the maximum, pretty self-explanatory. And then there's one that is not self-explanatory called default. And default is what happens when we don't have any metrics that we are supposed to look at when, we, when the metrics we're supposed to look at don't exist anymore. Um, we can use metrics from anywhere. Those can be metrics from inside Azure. Those could be metrics from a third party. Those could be metrics from any web service that happens to be on the internet. Um, and if that metric goes away, if we don't have the ability to uh, look at the metric and then weigh whether or not the auto scaling profile needs to kick in, it needs to know what to do. So if I don't have any information to make a decision, 
how many instances do you want me to be able to deploy there, right? And this is another risk reward. Do I set it at the minimum? Do I set it at the maximum? Do I set it somewhere in the middle and hope that I can split the difference? But I need to think about if my metric that I'm using that matters goes away, what do I do? How many instances do I spin up until that metric comes back? So we'll look at that. Uh, we also have the triggers, and the triggers are going to be what metric am I looking at uh, in order to be able to start the auto-scaling. This can also be uh, you know, a time of day, this can be a threshold, this can be anything that we want it to be. And then the recurrence is how quickly does it happen again? How long do I wait before I auto-scale again uh, inside that same auto-scaling profile? Uh, there are a couple things that we want to worry about or that we want to think about when we talk about uh, auto-scaling. We're going to scale out when any of the triggers are met. So we could put 20 triggers in an auto-scaling profile one of those triggers gets met and we're gonna scale out. That makes sense, but you have to think about the inverse of that, which is that we're only going to scale in when all of the triggers are met. So if you've got 20 different triggers, all 20 of those have to be off for us to be able to scale in. So it is going to be much quicker to scale out, and particularly if you've got a complex auto-scaling profile, than it is gonna to be to scale back in. Uh, the other thing is that auto-scaling always wins. If you go in and manually override, uh, if you go in and deploy more instances, if you scale up the size of the instances uh, manually, auto-scaling is always going to do exactly what it is that you've told it to do. It's not gonna take any of that into context. So uh, if we're going to enable auto-scaling, we generally say, let auto-scaling do what auto-scaling is gonna do. And can, let's look. Can auto-scaling yeah, go, go up as well, or does it just scale out for auto-scaling? Uh, auto-scaling is gonna be a scale out. Okay. So scale up, if we wanted to auto scale up, we would do that with an ARM template and write some sort of script that's pulling the data in. Uh, the scale up is, I mean, we still have to go find that instance and swap to that instance. The auto scaling uh, generally is going to be a scale out function. Thank you. All right, so we come back in here. Uh, we are in our app service plan. Right, and we look at the scale out side of things, and this time, instead of uh, moving the slider, I love when I hit refresh just as it shows up, uh, instead of putting in an override condition here, um, we're going to set that back to one, and then we're going to enable auto-scaling. And when we enable auto-scaling, it immediately jumps in, and we've got some stuff that we need to do here. Um, it gives us an auto-scaling name, so each of the, this is that auto-scaling profile we're talking about. This is the resource group that that auto-scaling profile is going to apply to, uh, and we can scale based on a metric, or we can scale to a specified instance count. So we can uh, continue to do it, we can continue to scale as long as a metric isn't met, or we can say when a metric is met, scale to this specific number of instances and go no further. Uh, we've got a couple things here, we've got our minimum, We've got our maximum and we've got our default. Uh, we will go ahead and set our maximum to 10. Uh, and then the default, this is that, where do we wanna pick? Do we wanna be conservative with the money? Do we want to uh, make sure that we're always capable of satisfying customer accounts or, do we, or customer connections? Or do we wanna split it somewhere in the middle? And we'll split it somewhere in the middle by saying, if you can't pull 
the uh, the metric that we're looking for, just go ahead and spin up five of them. Don't spin up all ten, but don't drop it down to one and and uh, risk upsetting customers. The last thing that we're going to do here uh, is we're going to add in the scaling rule, and so this gives us the metric source, right? And this is where we're going to pull that metric from, and the other resources that magical pull it from anywhere on the internet, pull it from your Splunk. Uh, deployment, pull it from the application itself. If you were generating telemetry that would trigger scaling, we can do that. Uh, in this case, we're actually going to look at the app service plan uh, and we're going to pick something out of here. So if we wanted to pick you know, queue length or if we wanted to pick the total amount of data or if we wanted to pick something easy like memory percentage, right? We can see uh, the memory percentage, so it'll show us what it is. It'll show us where we are uh, in relation to it and then we can pick whatever we want that threshold to be. Um, we also get to set uh, a couple things here. The duration is how long do we have to be over the threshold before it counts? Uh, if we're over the threshold for that long, what do we do? Increase by, increase percent, increase count. How, uh, what increments do we want to increase in? In this case, we're gonna increase one uh, instance at a time and then the cooldown minutes is going to be really important and this gets back to making sure you know your application before you turn it on if we spin up a new instance how long is it going to take before that instance actually gets into the pool and starts being used by uh, by customers on the front end this is going to be very dependent on the uh, the app type it's going to be dependent on the instance it's going to be dependent on how well we've automated the load balancer on the front end so that it sees that new instance and is letting it participate in the larger environment if we set this too low what we have the risk of doing is having it just continue to keep auto scaling even though those instances um, you know those instances have been deployed but they're not in actual production yet right they're not being used uh, for what they're they're going to be used for so uh, these are going to be important how far do we want to scale and then on the cooldown side how many how many minutes do we want to wait before we then allow that trigger to be uh, executed again and we add it and it comes up and we put it in there and we're done and so what this is going to do is it's going to tell our, our instances anytime the memory of, of any of the uh, app services that are inside this app service plan get to a memory percentage of 70%, we're going to increase that count by one. We're going to wait five minutes to make sure that it comes up on the front end, uh, and then we'll trigger it again. So pretty straightforward. Uh, there's a lot that you can do wrong here, right? I mean, we can add as many rules as we want to. Uh, we can really... Uh, you know, we can really spin up instances like crazy if we're not aware of the things that we need to be aware of about our app. Um, let's see, auto scaling has billing implications. That would very much be the understatement of the year. Um, in this case, the billing implication is going to be dependent on the type of instance that we're using. So you can see that the maximum that we have the ability to be able to do here is 20, right? So uh, if we wanted to be able to minimize the billing implications, we can certainly put some hard stops in just by the type of app service plan that we're using. Uh, the bigger the app service plan, obviously, the more that we're going to be able to auto-scale, the more instances we're going to be able to auto-scale to. So we've got a little bit of a firewall in there, but yes, if we set the maximum here to 20, uh, there is literally nothing that is going to, uh, other than the rules that we put in place, that's going to uh, slow down us being able to deploy all of those instances and, and you know, paying for uh, the number of instances that we have. 
All right. I don't think there's anything else in the questions. Can you so... can you use cost as a limit for auto scale? You cannot. So, um, I mean, I guess you could back into it by saying, um, you know, the app service plan has a cost that's associated with it, right? If we go back over and look at the, um, you know, when we did the scale up and we're looking at the size of the instance, each of those instances has a cost uh, that's associated with it. So if we know that we can scale out to a maximum of 20 of those, I get some idea of what the worst case billing would be for the, the instances themselves, uh, but there's no way to say, I only want you to auto scale until my bill hits this specific amount. Um, and then at that point, do what? Stop auto scaling, scale down. Like there's no, uh, that's, not a, that's not a metric that's really uh, feasible to use for when we limit the auto scaling. Uh, could one of the other metrics pull something from the cost and dashboard? Uh, that's a good question. Um, let's go ahead and save that. Uh, one of the things that we certainly have that we can look at uh, on the dashboard is the cost number, right? So, I mean, if I look at the subscriptions and I look at this one in particular, I can see an actual cost overview for this, uh, and we can pin this right directly to the dashboard like so, could we scrape that and use it? Or even, I mean, all of that's available through uh, through the command line. Could we use that as a trigger? Yeah, I mean, I guess we could, and then just tell it to turn off auto-scaling, right? I mean, the impact of that would be, could be really bad for the customers. I mean, if you've got if you've got 20 instances up there and all of a sudden we hit a threshold and you decide to drop that down to two, uh, obviously that could have some impact for the customers, but I mean, there's no, I guess there's no reason that we couldn't use that as a, as a trigger to scale, scale back in. I think, uh, I think it would be, I think it's easier said than done just because of the, uh, all of the different pieces that go in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it, if, you know, we could certainly say, you know, if my total amount of bill for this, uh, for this subscription hits whatever threshold it is that we want to set, just turn off auto scaling, right? And I wouldn't necessarily even need to do that through auto scaling. I could do that uh, with a cron job and a, an arm template, right? Because again, when we look at the app service plan, if I wanted to turn off auto scaling, um, you know, all I have to do is go in and remove the uh, that default auto scaling profile. So if we said when my bill gets to X amount, just disable auto scale. I mean, we could certainly do that too. I've never tried though. That's a, that's a great question. That's something I'll certainly play around with. Good question, Graham. I like it. All right. So we've looked at scale up. We've looked at scale out. Um, we've looked at, uh, again, here's the cloud sh shell version. So if I wanted to look at my auto scaling profile, again, I can pull all of those uh, auto scaling profiles that are associated with a specific uh, app plan, and it'll show me everything that's in there. Uh, this is one of the ones that we very much recommend that customers have some sort of monitor on, 
Uh, we can see here that there is an auto-scaling profile, that auto-scaling is enabled. We can see the capacity, that default maximum and minimum, uh, and we can see the rules. When is it that we're going to scale? How far is it that we're going to scale? The change count, those sorts of things. Um, it's great to be able to pull not just is auto-scaling enabled on any of these app service plans, but then also to be able to say how many instances do I have, uh, particularly because if we're going to automate the firewall and the load balancer on the front end, knowing when a new instance has been put has been pushed out uh, is going to be something that we need to be able to have uh, in real time so that we can put that in to the pool because that's going to determine how long we wait before we let the auto scaling trigger happen again. So uh, this is one that that uh, once we enable auto scaling, as much telemetry as we can possibly get is a good thing. Uh, here's the ARM template that we were talking about, right? So we are going through and we're setting the minimum and the maximum and the default. We're setting all of the thresholds. This is also where we could enable or disable. So even if I didn't want to do it through uh, the UI or I didn't want to do it through an auto-scaling policy, if I wanted to turn auto-scaling off over weekends because it's never getting used and I don't want there to be any mistakes that would happen, uh, this is how I would uh, change, you know, enabled true to enabled false, and that would turn off auto scaling uh, for that uh, for that app service plan. Um, if you want to see more about auto scaling, there is a ton of documentation that's out on docs.microsoft.com. Uh, I've actually collected all of these up, and I'll give you one link at the end that includes the documentation for all of the different pieces uh, that we're talking about here. But uh, if you haven't been to docs.microsoft.com or uh, docs.microsoft.com slash learn, there's so many free resources out there for you to be able to play around with things uh, and see, uh, you know, tutorials and samples and concepts and how-to guides. Uh, uh, I've never seen Cody Bunch get more excited than when I start walking him through the Azure docs and some of the learn stuff. Uh, just because there's so many resources there that we've tried to put together uh, from an engineering team uh, that we're pretty we're pretty happy with them. So uh, here's some docs specifically for auto scaling, but I'll make sure that you get a link uh, with everything at the end. All right, so we know how to handle load. Uh, do we know how to handle localized failure? And this is where we switch from scaling for growth to scaling for uh, redundancy. Azure has a couple different concepts uh, from a data center perspective that are important to know when we start thinking about how do we uh, handle, uh, handle localized failure. We have the individual uh, Azure data centers themselves, and those data centers roll up into regions. Uh, regions are deployed in matched sets of region pairs, uh, and there's some interesting things that happen there. Within a region pair, uh, we won't do upgrades in uh, two regions within a region pair at the same time. Uh, we will give one of the regions, if there's some sort of regional outage, we'll give one of those region pairs uh, clear priority over when we bring it back up. So this helps customers prepare for what, when changes are going to be made and being able to either operationalize or develop an application that ends up uh, taking advantage of those. And then those region pairs roll up uh, into a geography. So uh, these exist, and I think this map is only, what, three months old, but I know that it's already out of date. Uh, I believe both of the South Africa data centers are up and live uh, at this point. Uh, we continue to add these, right? This is one of the strengths, I think, of Azure is just the, the sheer number of regions that we have and then, you know, using those region pairs to be able to uh, 
allow customers to have some predictability in what it is they're getting from a data center standpoint. So uh, in order to handle localized failure, should we use region pairs? And at this point, I'd be disappointed if everybody isn't saying in, unif in, in unison, uh, maybe, right? So uh, there is a link here for all of the region pairs. If you go to deploy into the Azure portal, it'll also give you the recommendation for the region pairs. But of course, the answer here uh, is going to be maybe. And there's a couple things that we need to think through there. We have to have a horizontal architecture in order for any of this to make sense. If we're just scaling up, the best we can do is an active passive type environment. We need to be able to manage for data consistency. If we're going to have data that exists in different physical locations, how are we replicating those? How are we managing um, you know, active active rights to databases that are distributed? And then we've got to figure out you know, data sovereignty. Is it okay to have region pairs that are in different countries uh, like they are in Europe, or do we need to pick a region pair that exists within the same uh, political borders in order to make uh, you know, the, the, the management of the, uh, the government regulation side of things a little bit easier? But if we have good answers to those and we do have a horizontal architecture and we can manage uh, data consistency and we know how it is that we want to deploy them and we've taken care of our data sovereignty, uh, then certainly deploying into a region pair is going to be uh, the Microsoft recommended way to be able to handle localized failure. The last thing uh, that we need to look at here is we've got this distributed environment. Uh, we need to figure out how is it that we're going to manage the traffic that's coming into the to the front of it. Uh, Azure Front Door is a product uh, that's been GA now for about maybe six months uh, or so. It was in preview for a fair amount of time before that. It's one of my favorite reasonably new uh, Azure features, and I just want to kind of walk everybody through what it does and how it does it. Azure Front Door is a load balancer. It's a global HTTP load balancer that includes instant failover. Um, there are a couple bonuses with it, right? Saying it's a load balancer, I don't think really captures what it is that we're trying to do here. It gives us the ability to do things like SSL offload, application acceleration. Uh, because it's a distributed Azure service, it's not like a load balancer appliance that gets delivered into a specific data center, we get not just the ability to move uh, the traffic to the edge closest to, to the users, but we also get the DDoS protection of the entire Azure network stack, right? And all of the bandwidth that Azure brings to bear to each of these data centers. It gives us a centralized control plane for traffic orchestration so that even if there is a DDoS that's impacting a specific location or a specific deployment, we're, we'll always have access to the control plane for us to be able to black hole traffic, for us to be able to change routing rules, whatever it is that we need to do. Uh, and because it's an Azure service, um, there's always going to be actionable insights, telemetry, uh, data that we can pull off of that, and we'll talk a little bit about that as well. So here's uh, here's the, the deployment topology, if you will, right? Because everything starts with a good uh, Visio diagram that shows how everything works. We've got our end, end users who are coming in and we're gonna use Azure Front Door as the place that we're gonna do that. We've got our app service plans with our three different uh, apps that we're deploying in there. We've got a Cosmos DB and we need to find a way to make that redundant. And then we've got the uh, SQL databases and we're just going to put a read replica uh, in the second side. So the SQL is going to be not active passive, but 
we're only going to be able to write to one of them. Uh, we would have to do a manual failover to the read side, but that's okay because almost all of this application in particular is read. So this gives us the ability to do it. And so we're going to, as the last demo here, we're going to deploy front door and we're going to make the Cosmos database uh, geographically redundant because that sounds fun. All right. Let's switch back over. All right, no questions. Good. So I've created another dashboard, and this one we're going to call vBrownBag Global, and you'll see a couple changes here. Uh, you'll see that we now have two app service plans, and those app service plans are deployed into a region pair, uh, in this case, Western Europe and Northern Europe. And each of those app service plans now has a primary and secondary version of the application stack. So we've got a primary front end and a secondary front end. We've got a primary product and a secondary product. And then we've got a primary inventory and secondary inventory. Um, we'll go ahead and close these out. And we can look at, here's our primary. And we can look at, here is our secondary. Right, so we've got them both up and running. Uh, they are running off right now a single Cosmos DB instance that we're using the Mongo uh, API for and a single SQL database. Uh, what we don't have currently is any way to load balance the customers who are coming into the front of that. So that's what we're going to deploy here. If we go into create a resource, uh, and we're going to just deploy this and do it live because that's fun. Uh, we look at Azure front door and it shows up as a service that we can deploy. We pull it out of the catalog and we create it. And one of the things that I like best about Front Door is that it's very logical in the layout, at least for me as somebody who's been working with load balancers and firewalls for a long time. Uh, the first thing we do is we tell it what subscription we're in and what uh, app global, what resource group we're gonna deploy it into. And then we get this designer view, which to me makes so much sense when I'm deploying these. The first thing that we're gonna do is we're gonna build what are customers going to talk to. Uh, and we just have to give it a name. So we'll call this SRE40 VBB front door. Um, we can enable session infinity, uh, session affinity or not here. And then once we add that into the front end hosts, that's gonna be the URL. That's gonna be what customers are gonna to come to uh, from the front. We could put custom, uh, if we had our own custom domain we wanted to put in there, we certainly could. The next thing we're gonna do is we're gonna build out the back end pools. And these are gonna be what are the servers that we're gonna to talk to on the back. And here we name it again, uh, back end pool. Don't need two E's in there. Um, and then we add a back end. And the back ends, we can pick lots of different things. We could pick an app service, we could pick a cloud service, we could pick a, if we're doing a static website, we could pick the storage account that's associated with the static website, or we could pick a custom host, right? We could pick any VM that we've got that's running any uh, HTTP or HTTPS. In our case, we're gonna pick an app service. Um, we're going to pick that out of our subscription and then it'll show me all of the app services that are in here. And we're going to pick uh, front end primary, the port, the priority, the weight, and we add it. And then we add the second one, app service. And we're going to do uh, front end, there's primary, front end, secondary. 
and we add it. And now we've got our two uh, front ends. We've got front end primary, front end. We've got them at equal priority. We're weighting them, so we're basically just round robining between them. Uh, this is if we had a custom uh, HTTP page that we were using for probe requests, we could put that in here. Uh, and then how quickly we're going to do it. 30 seconds is too long, so let's change it to five. And then for the load balancing, you know, we can define healthy or unhealthy, and we can you know, make that as custom as we want to. So now we've got our backend pool. And then the last thing is the routing rules that connect the two of them. So we pull up, uh, we name this, sorry, 40 VPP routing. Uh, what protocols do we want to accept here? Uh, we talk about the front-end hosts, and this is if we had multiple front-end hosts, we could create one rule to be able to do all of it. We'll do pattern matching. What pool are we going to use? We could have multiple pools. What are we going to do? Are we going to forward it? Are we going to match the request as it came in? Are we going to rewrite the URL? We can do that from here. Um, and are we going to, to cache the static content, which means if we go and add something, we need to actually clear that cache manually as well. So we can do a little bit of CDN on the edge. We've got lots of different stuff that we can do here. We're going to make it nice and easy. So we've got, here's our front end. Here's the pool for all of our back end. Here's the routing rule uh, between them. We review and create it, and it'll go through and validate it to make sure that everything works. And then we say go. And we can see that it will then deploy this um, and it'll show us uh, when it's up and the deployment that's underway and it'll give us all the pieces that are in there. And my guess is this will probably take 45 seconds or so. One of the things that I want to point out here is uh, everything that we just did through the command line is also, of course, going to be available uh, through ARM templates and through uh, the, the AZ CLI. So while we've deployed this using the nice pretty front end, uh, doing this programmatically and particularly editing, say, that backend pool as we spin up new instances or as uh, auto scaling spins up new, in, new instances is going to be really important. So we can take that, uh, we can programmatically use it to add those in. We certainly don't have to come in and do it manually if we don't want to. Uh, it tells me that my deployment is complete. Not bad, 41 seconds to deploy a brand new far, uh, uh, load balancer on the other side of the planet. Uh, and it comes up and it starts to give us uh, the telemetry that's on it. So uh, we can see the basics that we can pull. We can uh, look at you know, request count and healthy percentages and all sorts of stuff. But again, we can pin to a dashboard or we can pull programmatically. Uh, and we get that front end host URL. So if we pull this up, and this is, I'm sure all of you love the I'm 99% finished copying, but I'm really going to just sit there for the next 20 minutes while the, the, the everything works. Uh, this comes up and says I have deployed it, and then 30 seconds later it actually starts working. So here we have our Azure front door, and we've got it uh, pulling up against these two, uh, our primary and our secondary, and so we're getting consistent data every time we refresh this. Uh, we're going to round robin between the two of them. Uh, everything is working as expected. Um, thought I saw a question come in. 
if auto scale ads remove servers, we have to manually via code add them to front door. Yes, so uh, two different foundational, like two different Lego blocks. Um, the Azure front door is an option to be able to do load balancing, but you could pick anything that you wanted to do. You can deploy a Fortinet appliance into it. You can use uh, you know, any of the services that are available. Um, front door is just going to be one of them that's really well integrated into the rest of the Azure stack. So uh, if autoscale adds or removes servers, there has to be some process. It doesn't have to be a manual process, but uh, there has to be some process that then takes that instance um, and adds it into the pool. And again, all of that is, is surfaced through the command line. So having something that runs in the background that says every time this auto scaling rule triggers, which I can trigger an alert for, I then want to immediately go out and take the result of that auto scaling and make a, make a change to the load balancer. But yes, that does have to be done manually. And then we can test it. Um, we come back in here to our dashboard. We pick, uh, let's pick the front end primary. And let's just shut it down. Yep, we want to stop the front end primary. All right, it's stopped. Uh, it's not running anymore. We can validate that it's not running anymore by refreshing until, there we go. So service is unavailable. And then because we are friendly, it'll actually come up with a nice pretty error 403. This is a web app and it's been stopped. Right, secondary is still up and running. So the front door version is going to see that the web app is stopped. It's going through its checks. And once it hits that threshold, and this is why I set it way down underneath the, uh, the 30 seconds that it normally does. Once it sees that the app is unavailable, uh, it will automatically redirect all of the incoming, um, all of the incoming customer sessions to the secondary, and it comes back up. So we've got lots of control over that. We've got lots of uh, you know, timing and how do we see things as active and how do we see things as, uh, as healthy and available. And all of that gets surfaced from a telemetry standpoint that we can do whatever we want to uh, programmatically where we can see that we had 100% backend health uh, and that is obviously going to go down as we don't have 100% uh, of those uh, that are up anymore. So this gives us the, the last piece of that with being able to uh, push that out through the load balancer. So now as we're auto scaling, we can continue to make sure that customers have access to all of those. And then that last piece is our Cosmos DB. And this is almost embarrassingly easy, right? We've got a, a Cosmos DB. And, and again, we could spend an entire hour talking about this is going to be the, uh, the NoSQL based distributed uh, database that uh, that Azure offers. In this case, we can see that there is one region that has been chosen to host that, uh, and that's North Europe. Since we have uh, everything else in Western Europe, which is our paired region, if I wanted to be able to add that in, I would simply say add another read write enabled region. Um, I could add lots and lots and lots and lots of regions, uh, and every one of these costs money. So make sure that, uh, again, because you can scale and because scaling is easy, uh, there's lots of uh, thought that needs to go into what is that going to be and how is that going to be. And so once we've replicated it globally, we hit save and it's going to go out. And again, depending on how big the database is and how much data it has to replicate between them. Uh, but we just made still a single front end, right? We're still going to, we're not going to have to change anything with the code. It's still just talking to our Cosmos DB, but that Cosmos DB now has backends uh, that are distributed across multiple uh, Azure data centers.
So the two things we needed to do in order to make this uh, resilient to localized failure, we needed to be able to load balance on the front end so that customers can get to uh, app instances that may be deployed in different regions, and we needed to make sure that the database on the back end was consistent and replicated uh, and uh, both read and write enabled across those, and so we took care of that as well. So what we have now is a fully redundant, uh, fully scalable application that we can push out uh, to any of the three pieces of that app through the app service plan. We can do it manually, we can do it through auto scaling, uh, and then we can load balance everything on the front end. Uh, let's look one last time for questions, and when it comes back up, it a lot of metrics. Yes, absolutely. So if we come back into uh, the question was when it comes back up, it'll automatically start using it again. If we come in here uh, to that front end primary, and we restart the service, it'll come back up. Uh, and then once it comes back up, it'll go through those health checks, right? Which means it has to be up for a certain amount of time. We have to have a certain amount of latency on there because sometimes when uh, app services start up or when any your web app starts up, there's going to be a bunch of CPU at the beginning, and so maybe the latency isn't great. We can tell it what the threshold is before it marks it as healthy, puts it back into the pool, and then round robins between them. Uh, so that is automatic. Uh, it'll continue to use that. And so when we scale up or when we scale down, you know, the, uh, the front door front end will take care of making sure that uh, everything works the way it's supposed to. A good question. All right, so we went through, uh, we don't need to look at the ARM templates. We went through front door, we went through Cosmos DB. Um, that's really everything that we had to talk about today. The last thing that I wanna give you before we leave uh, is a URL here. So uh, I'll leave this up here for those of you who wanna take a, uh, a snapshot of it, uh, but this kind of serves two purposes. One is it gives us, um, the ability to share a bunch of links all at the same time. Oh, come on. That would be interesting if that wasn't working the way it was supposed to. Oh, it is. Okay. So this is an application called the URL list. Um, we're using this one for two reasons. One, because it's really cool and it lets us share one link that has all of the content and we can group these. And uh, I've given you here the documentation link for uh, looking at scale up features, uh, getting started with auto scale, the front door service, how to manage database accounts uh, in Cosmos DB, I've also given you a link to all of the sessions that we presented on that uh, Microsoft Ignite tour. So you can see uh, there's, I mean, there's so much content out there that it's kind of crazy, but I wanted to make sure you had that. Uh, and I wanted to give you a link to the GitHub repository that contains all of the code that we just talked about, right? So if we look at SRE 40 here, every, everything that we just deployed, that entire setup, all of the pieces that we used to be able to deploy it, if you want to mirror exactly what we did, um, you know, pull this down, fork it, do whatever it is that you want to with it, and you have all of the same code that we just used. Uh, this is important because what we're looking at here in VS Code is the deployment script 
that set up all of that stuff, right? Because I didn't go through and manually build each one of those and all of the app service plans and deploy everything. Uh, we did all of that programmatically uh, using that GitHub repo and being able to populate everything that we needed to in order to be able to build this. Um, this is essentially one long Azure command line, Azure CLI script that builds out everything that we possibly need it to. Uh, that builds out the resource groups, that builds out the databases, that builds out uh, the SQL instances, that builds out the uh, Cosmos DB instances, that creates the MongoDB API on top of it, and then that builds out every one of those apps, right? So creating app services plans, uh, deploying the application insights stuff that, uh, that was requested because application insights is awesome. Uh, all of the things that we need to be able to do, app service plans, uh, each of the individual pieces, what location do we deploy it into, uh, how do we set up the URLs to be able to use, uh, everything's in here. I mean, this is, uh, if, you're, if you're like me, this is 549 lines of pure awesome uh, that culminates with, here's all of the URLs for the different pieces uh, that we're using. So uh, I want you to be able to have this because I think that in addition to, it, you know, we saw some cool stuff and we learned some cool things. Uh, nothing shows you kind of the power of that deployment, both from an app service standpoint, as well as just from an Azure resource standpoint, like seeing the, um, you know, seeing the code behind it that automates all of that deployment. And if we wanted to put this in a pipeline so that it rebuilds it every time we, re we do a new code release, we absolutely could. There's there there's so much cool stuff in here. Um, and I'm hoping that, that people who see this will pull it down, uh, kind of parse through it, and then ask questions about why did you do this or how did you do this? Or if I wanted to do this, how would I do it? Uh, there's so much good stuff in here. I wanted to make sure that you guys had access to that. The second part of this, uh, is that this is a serverless application that was built by two of the folks uh, on my team on the Azure Advocates uh, that is running uh, completely on Azure. So in addition to being a useful application that lets me share content with you, uh, it's also kind of the, the example of if I wanted to build a serverless you know, functions-based app uh, that was deployed completely into Azure, here's how to do it. And so in addition to the, the application itself, there's an entire series of blog posts around how did we build it and what did we do. So for those of you who are looking to use, uh, you know, serverless technology, Azure Functions uh, on the Azure platform, this is both a good example of what that looks like, but also there's lots of content behind it showing you uh, how to go out and build your own. And so with that, uh, I think we are done. I'll go ahead and throw this up again just so uh, if anybody wants to reach out or has any questions, you can, uh, you can get me offline. But uh, let's check one last time before any questions, and then I think we can wrap it up. So it runs on Azure servers. Everything runs on Azure servers, Graham. In an Azure data center, plugged into an Azure power outlet. It's pretty awesome. But you don't have to worry about those. We get to worry about those, so everybody gets to call it serverless. Awesome. Uh, if there aren't any more questions, I think uh, I think that'll do it. I really appreciate the time to come out here. I hope everybody learned something. Uh, and again, all the code is there. Go out, pull request to your heart's content, uh, and let me or any of the uh, Azure advocates know if you have any questions. Great. Thank you very much, uh, Jeremiah. That was awesome. It's good to see everything that was going on, and thank you for 
throwing in a little bit of monitoring for me. <laughs> Just for you, man. Yeah. Um, I tweeted out the URL list uh, link that you put already, so it's out on Twitter. And it'll be in the show notes as well. Awesome. And I will probably start using it both personally and for V Brown Bag. So it, it's that, really cool. It's really cool because that, that last slide normally just has a laundry list of here's all of the links and here's all the all the takeaways. And you know, particularly when you're presenting it at a, at a conference, that's when everybody pulls out their phone and starts taking pictures of it and that sort of thing. And it's really cool to be able to have something where I can kind of prep all of the links that I want and include everything in there and any tracking links and all the stuff that we need to put in there uh, from an Azure perspective and then just give one URL and then talk about how it's a really cool app that is deployed on Azure and that we, again, open sourced uh, and is is uh, available for people to be able to learn from. So it, uh, it certainly kills many birds with a single stone. Cool. Um, yeah, that sounds good. And anybody watching should expect to see a few of the URL list links from us. Awesome. Uh, so uh, with that, I think that uh, all the questions are done, so we'll go ahead and call it an evening. Thank you very much, Jeremiah. No problem. Thank you.